Morning, church. Let's start off with a word of prayer. Father, thanks for allowing us to be here today. Thank you for the breath in our lungs. Thank you for all the gifts that we have. Thank you for the gift of the Christmas season, God. And we pray that today we would truly experience your joy, your peace, your faithfulness that we draw closer to you today and look more and more like you, and that as we worship, as we hear your word today, that it wouldn't just be coming and doing something to check off a box, but God, that you would work in us today, that we truly have a moment where we draw closer to you. We experience more of your presence today. We look more like you, God, whatever it looks like. Father, thank you for how you're working in each person that's here, no matter what we're bringing no matter what pain, sadness, joy, whatever it is. God, thank you that we can bring it to you today and we set everything in our lives aside just to hear from you. You are awesome, amazing, and incredible. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, you know, I experienced something this week. I don't know if you parents have ever had this moment where you've had this phenomenon happen to you where all of a sudden you're speaking with your children. And then something happens. A voice comes out of you, and it's not your voice. You realize, that was my parent. (laughs) Like, all of a sudden, you say something, and you're like, that sounds exactly like my mom, exactly like my dad. I have so many of those moments where all of a sudden, I'm like, hey, inside voices. Hey, take a chill pill. I don't even know what that means. Because, like, I got older and I realized there actually are things that are pills that make you chill. And my parents got really mad at the idea of me taking those. So I don't know what the, the, the actual message we're telling kids is. But I say it to my kids. Hey, take a chill pill. Or, you know, all-time classic of my dad's, you know. I don't know. Ask your mom. You know, I have so many things that come out of my mouth that sound like my father. But yet there's also some things that my father taught me that were very, very important in my life. Like never judge someone until you've walked a mile in their shoes. And then he would continue on. He said, that way then, if you still don't like them after a mile, you're a mile away from them, and you have their shoes. <laughs> he said things like, things are not always as they seem. And the most important thing he ever taught me was to never judge someone, never react to someone until I fully understand their story. Every person has a story, things that they're going through, and in moments we can feel like someone is being malicious, someone is terrible, someone is evil, and then we get to know their story and we go, okay, that makes a little more sense. He taught me a lot about empathy and compassion and truly being curious about other people. The thing is, that has served me well in my life because I have found that there are moments in my life When I react to things, or I want to react to things, things that feel like they're malicious, things that feel like they're intentionally hurtful, things that feel like it is absolutely the worst thing this person could possibly do. And I don't know if you've ever had a moment like this, where you want to react in a moment, and then you realize later that you were wrong, like you completely and totally misunderstood the situation. Has anybody ever been there before? Like all of a sudden, you, you are just, you're ready to fight. And then you realize, oh, they didn't mean it that way at all. Oh, that, that's not even close to what it looks like, is it? You know, 
I've got into a, a habit with my wife to be just completely honest with her. Sometimes there's moments where I'll just kind of, kind of get really frustrated, kind of blow up in a moment. There's something that she said that really offended me, and I've gotten to a point where I found it's very therapeutic to just tell her what I heard. Because there's moments where I hear something, and it's not what she said. But all of a sudden, I, it's like, yeah, I, I heard that that you didn't really, you know, care about anything that I did today. Nothing I did was good enough today, and you don't respect me, and I'm lazy, and just this whole list. And she's like, all I did was ask if you're going to take out the trash, because I'll take it out if you're not going to. But there's moments where we have moments where we want to react, where we want to hurl things back at people, and today. I want to talk about a situation like this. Today I want to talk about another father who, unlike my father, doesn't have a lot of memorable quotes, doesn't have any little quips or things that he's remembered for saying. In fact, in the Scripture, you don't really have anything that he says. But he's a pretty well-known father in Scripture named Joseph. And the thing about Joseph is that there's a lot of things to learn from Joseph about those moments in life when something happens to you that feels malicious, that looks like it's absolutely the worst possible situation. He has a lot to teach us about that, but not necessarily by his words, but by his actions. Another thing my father used to always tell me was, actions always speak louder than words. And the thing is, Joseph's actions scream loudly at us about what it means to be a person who's like Jesus, to be a person who's righteous and how to love people well, even in the moments when it seems like they've done something to us that was absolutely unforgivable. See, to kind of recap where we're at, last week we talked about Mary. Mary was visited by an angel and told that you will have a virgin birth, that the Son of God will be conceived in you. And then from there, it says she went off to go be with her relative Elizabeth who, if you know the story, had in her old age, had a, a baby in her belly, even though she was very, very old, and this baby was going to be John the Baptist, the person who goes ahead of Jesus and prepares the way for him. And so she goes off for about three months, and then she comes back. And how the, the, the gospel account seems to be, it seems to be that Quite possibly, that was the moment where Matthew 1 kind of starts. Like, she's already come back. She's three months into this. It's very obvious that she's pregnant. And then all of a sudden, Joseph figures out, wait, something's not quite right here. And so I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 1. It says, this is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. 
And when Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. And he did not have relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. Now, a little bit of explanation of what's going on here. And in this time and day, engagement was seen as something that was almost as bonding as marriage. Actually, to get out of an engagement, a betrothal, it would have had a process that was similar to the divorce process. It was not an easy thing. This wasn't just a, hey, here's your ring back. This was a very, very big deal. And in fact, in, under the Jewish law, a lot of the same laws and rules that would apply to a marriage applied it to this engagement relationship. And so Joseph makes a choice here, and I want to start to, to kind of examine this a little bit. But what we come to understand is that Joseph thinks something bad has happened. He, he, he believes that Mary had an affair. That even before they, they got married, he seems to have this belief that she's done something to me. She's cheated on me. One of, probably one of the worst things that could happen to a man. To any person, to have someone who you are betrothed to to suddenly go and get pregnant by someone else. And he makes some choices that speak very, very loudly that I want to examine today. And the first thing is this. Joseph chose to love with compassion. Joseph chose to love with compassion. See, when we meet Joseph, he's in the middle of what seems like a very major personal crisis. I mean, everything in his life had been setting up to this moment. Things were going well. And then all of a sudden, seemingly... His betrothed has messed it all up. And it seems like everything has suddenly gone very, very wrong. And now she possibly has explained these things to him. And he's like, this just makes no sense. Then we have, going back to verse 19, Joseph says, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. He did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement Quietly. See, I, I think about that for a moment. Sometimes we just skip over this verse in the Bible and just kind of, okay, great, yep, he wanted to divorce her quietly. That's, that's nice. But understanding the, the deeper meaning here, that Joseph had the option and the capacity to make this very, very painful for Mary. In fact, many might have even made the argument that it was his duty to make it very, very painful for Mary. Because the punishments that were in the place were, were designed to create righteousness. Because as the Bible talks about, the law was designed to try to show us how to be righteous. But obviously we can't be without Jesus. So, so in that day, it was designed that, okay, someone does something wrong, this bad thing happens. And so what he should have done, according to the law, was something that would have disgraced her. That would have made things very, very hard for her. But yet Joseph chose differently. So you notice the progression in the verse. It says, Joseph is righteous, and thus he doesn't want to disgrace her. So he decides to break the engagement quietly. Meaning, Joseph is righteous, meaning God is first in his life, which means he is others-minded, meaning he doesn't want to disgrace her. He has a heart of protection. Even in the moment when he feels like he's been hurt, even when he feels like he's been completely and totally betrayed. 
Now, every time that I've ever heard Joseph preached about, probably you've heard something similar to that. Man, how great was Joseph? He just, man, he just wanted to divorce her quietly. Like, how, how great? And mostly, I'll be honest, I hear that preach from male preachers, right? So one day I was sitting in a group, group Bible study and, and had some gals in there, which is why I think it's so great to have both perspectives, both genders, different, different areas of life, all kinds of things when it comes to living out the Bible. But a gal in there said, okay, why, why are we always saying like Joseph was so incredibly great? Like if he was so great, why didn't he just forgive Mary and move on? Why, why didn't he just believe her? Like, why do we focus so much on like this idea that, oh my goodness, he was so great. He wanted to divorce her quietly. Why was he divorcing her at all? And there's two things I want to point out with that. One is just practical. One is just the fact that in that day, this was likely an arranged marriage. And likely, Joseph didn't know Mary that well. They probably hadn't had a five-year dating process leading up to this where in our world, you know, we date someone for a while, then we're engaged to them. By the time we're married, we've likely had a long relationship. Their relationship wasn't like that. He doesn't know this girl very well. All he knows is that she made a promise and it seems like she broke it. And in that day, we have to understand that the process was a little bit different than it is today. But the second thing is this. I like to kind of play play the, the, a little bit of a devil's advocate for a moment here. Like, let's just imagine that he was wrong. Like, let's just imagine that he should have believed. Like, maybe God's plan here was that he was going to believe Mary, and the whole angel showing up thing was like a, a plan B, because he was disobedient, and maybe, maybe he should have just immediately believed. Let's just say for a moment, he just got it wrong. It says he was a righteous man, not a smart man. Maybe he was just too dumb to see what God was doing. All right, let's just play that for a moment. What I think is probably the coolest thing in Scripture is whenever I see someone who gets it wrong, but yet in the middle of it is righteous and seeking God first. See, I've had a lot of moments in my life where I've been wrong, I messed up, but I think God was still pleased with me because I was still seeking His heart and seeking to do it His way. I've had some moments I've completely messed things up. I've gone the wrong way. Uh, Maybe that really wasn't the smartest option. But yet, in the real question of that is not do you make the right the right hand turn or the left hand turn. Sometimes the most important thing is are we seeking God no matter what path we're going down. And see, what I love about Joseph is that even in the middle of him not believing Mary, he still believed in God and doing things God's way, doing things with love and compassion and grace. He chose to love Mary well, even when he thought that Mary hadn't loved him very well. He made the choice to love well, even when he thought he had been completely and totally wronged. You see, a righteous person cannot seek the disrespect or disgrace of anyone, regardless of what it may seem they deserve. I think this is a key because... I don't know that Joseph ever really had a choice. When we're really following Jesus and walking with him, so often I'll find in my life, I don't have a choice. When, when, when God's working in me and his Holy Spirit's working in me, it's like, no, there is no choice. There's just, am I going to do it God's way or not? 
When I'm choosing to do it God's way, I find myself going, nope, that's, that's his way. Okay, we're choosing love today. And see, I love how Joseph acted in this because the fact is, if this had just been a normal circumstance, if it had been what Joseph thought it was, what I love is that if he looked, when he got to the point where he was wrong, or realized that he was mistaken, he hadn't made any decisions or choices that would make him go, oh, I can't believe I did that. Because he was a righteous man who sought God first. What it says in Philippians 2 is to not be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, that though he was God, he did not think equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died on a a criminal's death on a cross. What I love is that Joseph was a lot like Jesus before Jesus was walking this earth as a human. Joseph was Christ-like in this moment. And I think one of the keys to this goes back to what we see in the verse, taking an interest in others. Something that Joseph seemed to have was compassion. He cared about how is this going to affect Mary, even in the moment when he thought, Mary's completely and totally wronged me. Mary should be the enemy right now. But the Jesus way is going, no, I'm still going to do what's best for them, even when they haven't done what's best for me. Because the fact is, we can do things according to our own way, or we can do it according to God's way. But God's way is always different than the world's way. And so, so often, we want to come into the church, we want to try to follow Jesus, but we want to do it our way. Like, we, we want to do it, okay, God, we'll, we'll, we'll live out a couple verses here and there. But then when it actually comes to the rubber hitting the road, we only want to go so far. But there's a point where God's way goes beyond what makes sense, goes beyond what we think is fair, goes beyond an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard it said, when someone, you know, hates your enemies, curse those who do wrong to you. But I say, because the Jesus way always goes beyond what we think should be right in a moment. 1 John 3.16 It says, We know that real love is because, we know what real love is, because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also should give up our lives, should lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, for those around us. See, being like Jesus means laying down our life for others. Being like Jesus means laying down our life for other people. And sometimes, I think especially men, we kind of like this idea in theory. You know, it's, it's kind of like uh, the wife who said, you know, apparently, when my husband said he'd do anything for me, he'd lay down his life for me, 
Apparently, I misunderstood. Apparently, that meant things like fighting dragons or running into a burning building, not picking up his socks off the floor, doing the dishes. And I don't know, men, I think we're especially bad about this. We, we can kind of romanticize this idea of laying down our life for someone. Like, I don't know if I'm alone here. Am, am I the only man that's kind of had a daydream of like turning to your family in the midst of a dire situation and yelling, Go! I'll hold them off! Anybody? No one's ever had that moment? Am I the only guy that's ever had a moment where you're like, Oh, you just want to like, yeah, I'll, I'll die for my family. You see in the movies those moments where, where the hero steps out and says, Okay, no, you guys go. I'll hold them off as long as I can. But the thing is, a lot of times we see that. Like action movies all the time, the, the biggest action hero moment is when someone's willing to lay down their life. But yet, the thing about that is, whenever they do that, it's always for people who like them. Like, it's always like for family, for the person I love, for the person I care about. So often when I think about that, it's not laying down my life for someone who's hurt me, for someone who doesn't care about me, someone who's disrespected me, someone who's stabbed me in the back. Romans 5, 8, it says, But God demonstrated His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus laid down his life for us, even when we didn't care about him at all. When we had no intention of following him, no intention of asking for forgiveness, Christ laid down his life, even to those who disrespected him, who hated him, who hurt him, who stabbed him in the back. And that's what we see as, we, as we're told throughout the Bible to act like Jesus, this idea of laying down our life for others. See, the Jesus way means coming and laying down my life even if you don't deserve it. Because Jesus laid down his life for me even when I didn't deserve it. That's what the Jesus way is when it comes to loving people well. I had a conversation with a friend this week that was very emotional. My friend is going through a lot. And, and his spouse is seemingly doing some things that are kind of selfish, hurtful. They're not currently together right now, not by his choice. And it's hard. And as we're talking to each other and just crying and sharing, there was a moment where I asked him a question. I said... Are you open to reconciliation? Like if God just touches her heart and she comes back and, and she says, okay, I was completely wrong. He said, absolutely. And in fact, I've already forgiven her. Because the Bible tells me to forgive her. I've already forgiven her. All I'm waiting for her is for her to come and ask for the forgiveness. It's here. And in that moment, hearing that pain in his voice in that conversation up until then, and hearing the way he's talking, it just, it just hit me. That's what looking like Jesus looks like. That's what happens 
when you lay down your life and say, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? God, would you be Lord of everything? Suddenly the way we treat people is crazy. Suddenly the way we, we love people and forgive people is insane. It doesn't make any sense because that's what God says. I use the foolish things of this world. I make the wise things of this world look foolish. The fact is the Jesus way will always take us to a place where we lay down our life in a way that's beyond comprehension. So I think it's very important for us to ask ourselves the question, the way that we treat people, does it look like Jesus? Like when it comes to that person who hurts us, who stabs us, who does things to us that aren't right. Even more so, if there's a moment where we are wrong in a moment, how will we feel in the morning? That's a great thing to ask. Have we done anything that would make us regret if we figured out we were wrong? But what if we're not wrong? What if we're completely and totally right? Yep, they are a jerk. Yeah, that was an evil thing to do. Are we the kind of people who are so filled with Jesus that that's what comes out of us? Or is it what we think is right? See, there's two pieces to this that I love when we look at Joseph. The first is that he loved with compassion. He loved like Jesus, even in the moment when he didn't have all the pieces. But there's a second thing I think that is so important as well. Because even when Joseph didn't completely get the picture, he, he was not completely understanding all the facts. He was mistaken. He had a heart that was obedient to God. And so when he's corrected, suddenly everything changes. See, see, Jesus would later give the great commandment, which can be summarized as love God, love people. And because Joseph loved God, he chose to love Mary, even when he thought she was wrong. And because he loved God, he was quick to obey when he was told that he didn't understand everything. Verse 24 of Matthew 1, it says, When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. In fact, in all three times that Joseph is ever mentioned in Scripture, he acts decisively. First, we, we, we read that when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel commanded, it says. Then in the next chapter, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother. And he rose and he took. And later in the same chapter, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in another dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. And he rose and he took. One of the things I love about Joseph is that he was the kind of person that walked in his convictions within the moment Angel shows up, okay, let's go. He rose and he did. He rose and he did. And so often in my life, I can lock into my convictions about a situation, about a person. And I have to ask myself, am I willing, if God says, nope, you're going to forgive him. Nope, you're going to love him. Nope, you're going to pray for him. Nope, you're going to go be nice to him. <clears throat> Is my immediate response, okay, let's go. Or is it, well, hold on, God. Let's, let's do a second take here. Am I, am I like Gideon in the Bible who went out with a fleece and said, God, would you do things this way? And then God did it. And he was like, great, can we do it the opposite way now? Like am I the kind of person that's like, okay, great, thanks for the message. Now can you send that, maybe let's try Spanish this time. 
Am I the kind of person who will rise and do? See, St. Augustine says that Christ is not valued at all unless he is a valued above all. Sometimes I wonder if actually part of the reasoning of why God chose Mary was not just because of who Mary was. We see a lot of great characters, characteristics of Mary. But maybe part of it was who she was betrothed to. That God knew that he was a man who was imperfect, but was obedient to God and was a loving person. The kind of person that when God says, no, you're, you're wrong about this, you need to go love her. Okay, great, I'll give my life to it now. You think about the fact that Joseph, while people were trying to kill them, was leading his family in all these moments, in moments where Herod is trying to not only kill his son, but probably would have killed them too for running away. And he's leading in this moment. And he says, no, I'll do whatever God says. I'll give my life, even though this child isn't technically mine. I'm going to give everything because God told me this is his plan. This is his Savior. Joseph was someone who loved with compassion, just like Jesus, and he obeyed God. And I think that's the biggest thing for our life. Are we the kind of people who love others well? Are we the kind of people who obey when God says, go? I I had a moment yesterday where my son, my son actually almost had some very uh, serious, serious injuries to him. Um, by me, I just I chose not to, and uh, so so it all worked out. But there was this moment where I'm sitting on the couch with my daughter, and we're hanging out, and I guess my son had not had enough attention, and he chose to get my attention in a way he's never done it before, and I pray he never does it again. But he decided to take a cup of water off the table, and he thought it'd be a good idea to walk up behind Dad while he's on. The couch no warning nothing at all and just dump it on my head and run away giggling and suddenly math is starting to go off in my head like i'm starting to do a little math like, okay my wife's 33 we can probably make at least two more kids so i mean like if we lose one right now I mean, is it really the end of the world we got one we like for sure i'm kidding we like we love we love both of our kids equally But in that moment, I stood up, and something really weird happened. See, when my son does something, and then he giggles about it, like when I get really frustrated when I stand up, you know, it it really it frustrates me because I grew up with a dad who who was like I would never dream of doing that to my dad. No way. And so then there's moments where then I feel like a little bit of inadequacy. Like, I mean, I know I'm trying, there's some things about my dad that I try to change in my own parenting, so I'm glad my kid isn't afraid of me, but yet at the same time, like, there's some moments where I'm like, should my kid be afraid of me? (laughs) And so I stand up all these insecurities and things in me, and I'm frustrated. I haven't expressed it verbally yet, but I've stood up very, very quickly. And as I start to go around the couch, thankfully he ran, so it gave me some time to think. And as I'm going to grab him, just something came over me. And I really think it was the Holy Spirit. No, calm down. Okay, fine. Why did he do that? 
I don't know, because he's a turd. What? I, 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 why did he do that? Because he wants my attention. Exactly. I'm about to give it to him. No. Your son, for some reason, is crying out to his dad, and he wants your attention on him right now. And I want you to give it to him. And I want you to love him through this. And so, I normally would, there would have been a consequence for that. But after grabbing him and sitting down with him, something just came over me. No, he needs grace right now. Okay. So I sit him on my lap, and we talk, and have a conversation. And he, he's been well assured that if that ever happens again, bad, 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 bad things will happen. But in that moment, I just had this moment of stopping and going, Man, that, that's a small thing in the grand scheme of things. But it was just that reminder to me of, am I going through my life in those moments when I get hit, the moment when my crazy four-year-old decides to dump a cup of water on me? Am I lit in tune with the Holy Spirit to where I can hear him say, stop, slow down, think differently about this? Am I obedient to that voice? Am I someone who's walking in love each and every day? See, the fact is, if I'm not walking with Jesus, if I'm not walking in love, if Joseph wasn't someone who was already walking with God, the moment that it happened, he wouldn't have been able to react that way. It's very, very hard, once you're falling, to start hooking up your safety ropes. It's very, very hard to start losing the weight or getting healthy or whatever it is. Once the bad things have started happening, it's by doing it ahead of time that you're prepared for the moment. No football team has ever stopped and said, hey, we need to go have like two more practices real quick. We're going to come back. Fact is, it's the practice, it's the things you've done ahead of time that prepare you for the moment. So as we walk in our life, are we walking in love? Are we walking in God's word? Are we listening to his Holy Spirit so that when those moments happen, or we're forced to react, is... Christ coming out of us. John 13, 35, it says, By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 4 that love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Love is always hopeful and endures through any circumstance. Prophecy and speaking and unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Something I like to do sometimes in that moment is put my own name in there and ask the question, is does this apply to me if I if I put my name here right here where it says love? Tim is patient, Tim is kind, Tim is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Tim doesn't demand his own way. Tim's not irritable, definitely off on that one sometimes. Tim keeps no record of being wronged. Tim doesn't rejoice about injustice. Tim rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Tim never gives up. Tim never loses faith. Tim is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. 
The thing is, if you think of that and there's some areas where you're not living up to that, what is so great about what we see in God's Word is that we are called to work some things out, to work on things, to put effort in, but yet at the same time the Bible says it is God who works in us to produce fruit. It's our job to connect to the vine. As Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches, you will do nothing without me. The Bible refers to the fruit of the Spirit, because it's the Spirit that produces this fruit of love, joy, peace, kindness, patience, self-control in our life. And so what I want to invite us to do, as we prepare this Christmas season, is to take some time to think, am I connecting to the vine of Jesus? If I call myself a follower of Christ, am I taking time to grow my roots down in Him? And if I'm not seeing fruit, maybe it's because there's some parts of me that aren't fully connected to Him. Maybe it's some time this week of just saying, God, how can I spend more time with you? Maybe it's spending time in His Word, spending time in prayer, spending time with other people who love Jesus and love you. Whatever that is, I just want to encourage us to examine our lives and ask the question, when we feel we're wronged, when we're hurt, when we're stabbed in the back, how do we react? Do we react like everyone else? Or do we react like Jesus? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, so often in our life, we can have moments where things hurt. Words sting. Actions have consequences. And we're left in this place where we just want to swing back. We just want to make other people hurt the way that they've hurt us. But yet we see in your word that your son Jesus didn't do that. And that's what we're celebrating this Christmas. That you sent your son down to not only die on a cross, but also to show us what it looks like to live a perfect life. To be the kind of person who loves in the midst of hate. Who gives forgiveness in the midst of unrepentance. God, Help, help us to repent of anything in us that doesn't look like you. It doesn't look like your son. Father, would you work in us? Would you shape us? Would you mold us? Would you help us to be the kind of people who love others well? God, you are awesome and amazing and incredible. Thank you so much for the gift of Christmas. And Lord, may it draw us more and more into a place of wonder and worship and wanting to be like the amazing gift that your son is. In your name we pray. Amen.